I'm not a scholar. I'm not an authority. I'm just someone seeking truth and righteousness. I read the scriptures constantly and thought to share what I'm discovering along the way. As I study, I get ideas and say them loud. It might be truth or it might be another pothole I step in on my journey. For me, the important thing is to keep pressing forward to the tree. I hear the fruit of the tree is delicious and I am determined to find out for myself. Today is Tuesday, February 16th, and today I thought I would continue with my studies on the doctrine of Christ, because that is the foundation of everything. That's what I'm understanding. So, today, well, of course it would be, you know, Christ is the cornerstone. So I'm going to go um, into 2 Nephi chapter 31 and chapter 32 today. I'm going to start in 31, verse 13. Well, actually, let me start on verse 2. Wherefore, the things which I have written sufficeth me, save it be a few words which I must speak concerning the doctrine of Christ. Wherefore, I shall speak unto you plainly according to the plainness of my prophesying. Verse 13. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, I know that if ye shall follow the Son with full purpose of heart, acting no hypocrisy and no deception before God, but with real intent, repenting of your sins, witnessing unto the Father that you're willing to take upon you the name of Christ by baptism, Yea, by following your Lord and your Savior down into the water, according to his word. Behold, then shall ye receive the Holy Ghost. Yea, then cometh the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost. And then can ye speak with the tongue of angels and shout praises unto the Holy One of Israel. So this is the same process we start with. Coming unto Christ with full purpose of heart, having faith in him, being baptized, and then cometh the baptism of fire in the Holy Ghost. That was verse 13 of 2 Nephi. I'm going to skip down now to verse 17. Wherefore, do the things which I have to- do the things which I have told you, I have seen that your Lord and your Redeemer should do. Because he talks about seeing Jesus Christ being baptized by John the Baptist. For for this cause have they been shown unto me, that ye might know the gate by which ye should enter. For the gate by which ye should enter is repentance and baptism by water. And then cometh a remission of your sins by fire and by the Holy Ghost. That is interesting. Did you catch that? That the remission of sins comes by the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost. I had never, never noticed that before. So I'm skipping over to the book of Enos because because I want to just kind of follow that a little further. Um, And I'm in verse 2. Oh my goodness, my cat is trying to get away from my dog. Always drama in my house. Okay, Enos verse 2. And I will tell you of the wrestle which I had before God, before I received a remission of my sins. Verse 4. And my soul hungered, and I kneeled down before my Maker, and I cried unto him in mighty prayer and supplication for mine own soul. And all the day long did I cry unto him. Yea, and when the night came, I did still raise my voice high, that it reached the heavens. And there came a voice unto me, saying, Enos, thy sins are forgiven thee, and thou shalt be blessed. And I, Enos, knew that God could not lie, wherefore my guilt was swept away. And I said unto the Lord, How is it done? And he said unto me, Because of thy faith in Christ, whom thou hast never before heard nor seen. Okay. I'm going to do one more. Hang on. Okay, so these are the people of King Benjamin who um, are having 
the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost while um, um, King Benjamin is discoursing. I'm in chapter 4, verse 1. And now it came to pass that when King Benjamin had made an end of speaking, the words which he had which had been delivered unto him by the angel of the Lord, that he cast his eyes round about on the multitude, and behold, they had fallen to the earth, for the fear of the Lord had come upon them. And they had viewed themselves in their own carnal state, even less than the dust of the earth. And they all cried aloud with one voice, saying, O have mercy, and apply the atoning blood of Christ, that we may receive forgiveness of our sins, and our hearts may be purified. For we believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who created heaven and earth and all things who shall come down among the children of men. And it came to pass that after they had spoken these words, the Spirit of the Lord came upon them, and they were re and they were filled with joy, having received a remission of their sins and having peace of conscience because of the exceeding faith which they had in Jesus Christ, who should come according to the words which King Benjamin had spoken unto them. So they received a remission of their sins, and they knew that. And this part is a little off topic, but I find it interesting. So right after they had the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost, I'm in verse 26 now of chapter 4. Um, this is King Benjamin speaking to them. That is for the sake of retaining a remission of your sins from day to day, that she may walk guiltless before God. I would that ye should impart of your substance to the poor. There's the law of consecration. Every man according to that which he hath, such as feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the sick, and administering to their relief, both spiritually and temporally according to their want. And then continuing in chapter 5, verse 5, And we are willing to enter into a covenant with our God to do His will and to be obedient to His commandments in all things that He shall command us all the remainder of our days, that we may not bring upon ourselves a never-ending torment, as has been spoken by the angel, that we may not drink out of the cup of the wrath of God. Verse 7, and now because of the covenant which ye have made, and I think this is the everlasting covenant, the, the new and everlasting covenant. Um, anyway, it says, And now because of the covenant which ye have made, ye shall be called the children of Christ, his sons and his daughters. For behold, this day he has spiritually begotten you. Okay. And this, I just, since I mentioned, I believe that's the new and everlasting covenant. I want to reference that the Joseph Smith translation of Genesis chapter nine, it says, and this is mine everlasting covenant that when thy posterity shall embrace the truth, he's talking to Noah. So this is Noah's posterity. So all the people of the earth. And this is mine everlasting covenant. There's that word, everlasting covenant. That when thy posterity shall embrace the truth and look upward, then shall Zion look downward, and all the heavens shall shake with gladness, and the earth shall tremble with joy, and the general assembly of the church of the firstborn shall come down out of heaven and possess the earth and shall have place until the end come. And this is mine everlasting covenant, which I made with thy father Enoch. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will establish my covenant unto thee. So the rainbow is actually a witness of the everlasting covenant, according to this, which is really interesting. There is a mention of this. It doesn't call it the everlasting covenant here, but it talks about the same event. In Doctrine and Covenant section 84, Ver, starting in verse 97 and the plague shall go forth and they shall not be taken from the earth until I have completed my work which shall be cut short in righteousness verse 98 until all shall know me who remain even from the least unto the greatest 
and shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, and shall see eye to eye, and shall lift up their voice, and with the voice together sing this new song, saying, The Lord has brought again Zion. The Lord has redeemed his people Israel. According to the election of grace, which was brought to pass by the faith and covenant of their fathers, the covenant of their fathers. I think this is talking about the covenant that he made with Enoch and renewed with um, Noah that he's calling his everlasting covenant. The Lord has redeemed his people and Satan is bound and time is no longer. The Lord has gathered all things in one. The Lord has brought down Zion from above. The Lord has brought up Zion from beneath. The earth has travailed and brought forth her strength. And truth is established in her bowels. And the heavens have smiled upon her. And she is clothed with the glory of her God. For he stands in the midst of his people. Glory and honor and power and might be ascribed to our God. For he is full of mercy, justice, grace, and truth, and peace forever and ever. Amen. Okay, now coming back from the tangent we just went on, where we were talking about Zion and the everlasting covenant. I'm going to reread 2 Nephi 31, 17 to kind of get it back in our brains. Wherefore, do the things which I have told you I have seen that your Lord and your Redeemer should do. For, for this cause have they been shown unto me that ye might know the gate by which ye should enter for the gate by which ye should enter is repentance and baptism by water and then cometh a remission of your sins by fire and by the holy ghost and then are ye in this straight and narrow path which leads to eternal life so until we get um it sounds like until we get the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost, we're not on the path yet. We entered the gate, um, which was baptism and repentance, but we're not on the path yet. Let's just read that little part again. For the gate by which ye should enter is repentance and baptism by water. And then cometh a remission of your sins, just like we were reading um, all these accounts of how they received that sweet remission of their sins by fire and by the Holy Ghost. And then are ye in this straight and narrow path, which leads to eternal life. Yeah. So after the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost, then we get on the path that reads, leads to that tree that Lehi saw. Yea, ye have entered in by the gate. You've done according to the commandments of the Father and the Son. And ye have received the Holy Ghost, which witnesses of the Father and the Son unto the fulfilling of the promise which he hath made, that if he entered in by the way, ye should receive. And now, my beloved brethren, after ye have gotten into this straight and narrow path, now that means that we've, it looks like we've received the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost, I would ask if all is done. Behold, I say unto you, Nay, for ye have not come thus far, save it were by the word of Christ, with unshaken faith in him, relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. And remember, faith is not belief. Faith is to seek revelation and act on it, just like Nephi did in the case of getting the plates. And then I'm going to come down here to verse 21 and now behold my beloved brethren this is the way and there is none other way nor name given under heaven whereby men can be saved in the kingdom of god and now behold this is the doctrine of christ and the only and true doctrine of the father and of the son and of the holy ghost which is one god without end this is an exact duplicate of what we read in 3rd Nephi chapter 11 and in DNC section 10 that we were reading. And then I want to go down because this is interesting. Um, section, I'm sorry, chapter 32, verse 1. And now behold, my beloved brethren, I suppose that ye ponder somewhat in your hearts concerning that which ye should do after ye have entered in by the way. So once you get into the gate, 
But behold, why do you ponder these things in your hearts? Do ye not remember that I said unto you that after ye had received the Holy Ghost, ye could speak with the tongue of angels? And now how could ye speak with the tongue of angels, save it were by the Holy Ghost? Angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, wherefore they speak the words of Christ. Remember, feast upon the words of Christ. I'm thinking that's not just scriptures. The scriptures is the here a little, there a little, line upon line that brings us to the gate. But once we go through the gate, we're supposed to seek the baptism of fire, which is when we begin to feast upon the words of Christ, which is our personal guidance. Um, still in verse three, wherefore I said unto you, feast upon the words of Christ. For behold, the words of Christ will tell you all things what ye should do. Verse four, wherefore now after I have spoken these words, if ye cannot understand them, it is because ye ask not, neither do ye knock. So we're not knocking at the gate. We're not asking for the baptism. At least that's what I'm interpreting. We're not asking for the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. Wherefore ye are not brought into the light, but must perish in the dark. Joseph Smith, I've heard him quoted many times. I've heard this quote. I need to look it up for myself. That you might as well baptize a bag of sand as to not do so um, with how does he say it with the it's, it's not the word plan but basically what it means is without looking forward to the baptism of the holy ghost which is interesting anyway i'm going to read four again wherefore now after i have spoken these words if ye cannot understand them it will be because ye ask not neither do ye knock Wherefore, ye are not brought into the light, but must perish in the dark. For behold, again I say unto you, I'm in verse 5, that if ye will enter in by the way, so enter into the gate, and receive the Holy Ghost, it will show unto you all things what ye should do. Behold, this is the doctrine of Christ, and there will be no more doctrine given until after he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh. So that manifestation of Christ, I'm understanding, is partaking of the tree, um, the fruit of the tree. That is beholding Christ for ourselves. And when he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh, the things which he shall say unto you shall ye observe to do. And now I, Nephi, cannot say more. I'm in verse 7. The Spirit stoppeth mine utterance, and I am left to mourn because of the unbelief. Remember? And I'm just going to read that one. I don't think we can read that one too many times. Alma 32, 28. Now we will compare the word unto a seed. And remember, Christ is the word. Um, if you look in John, uh, verse 1, um, Let's see. And the word was with God and the word was God. So on and so forth. Um, that's about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the word. Um, verse 28 of Alma 32. Now we will compare the word unto a seed. Now if ye give place that a seed may be planted in your heart. Behold if it be a true seed or a good seed. If ye do not cast it out. By your unbelief, there's that unbelief, that ye will resist the spirit of the Lord. Behold, it will begin to swell within your breasts. And when you feel these swelling motions, you will begin to say within yourselves, it must needs be that this is a good seed or that the word is good. For it beginneth to enlarge my soul. Yea, it beginneth to enlighten my understanding. Yea, it beginneth to be delicious to me. So going back over here. He says, and now verse 7 of chapter 32 of 2 Nephi. And now I, Nephi, cannot say more. The Spirit stoppeth mine utterance, and I am left to mourn because of the unbelief and the wickedness and the ignorance and the stiff-neckedness of men. 
for they will not search knowledge nor understand great knowledge when it is given unto them in plainness, even as plain as word can be. And now, my beloved brethren, I perceive that ye ponder still in your hearts, and it grieveth me that I must speak concerning this thing. For if ye would hearken unto the Spirit which teacheth a man to pray, ye would know that ye must pray. I'm going to stop there. Right. So they have, that's funny because that's what he told his brothers too. Hey, about um, Father Lehi's vision. He said, go pray about it. Go and ask God. And they said, God doesn't reveal any such thing unto us. And yet we have these examples of praying with real intent of heart and then receiving the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. And then great visions are unfolded unto them. Anyway, um, that's what I was reading today. So my voice is really gone. <coughs> I've been sick for a little over, for right out a week now. But even so, I just have to say this out loud. Only God has been witness to the sobbing and mourning that I have gone through watching the saints of the Most High God become stuck in their extreme reverence, almost worshiping, of the prophet, finding ways to justify what they're doing, The bottom line is, if you do, if you allow yourself to be led by the Holy Spirit at all, you're going to find that <coughs> you're going to find that these things that he has declared is the godsend that they had been praying for. Instead, is Satan's playground. It has the power to go in and change your very DNA, to change the nature of God's creation. You know, Noah was perfect in all of his generations. It says, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. Could they have been doing genetic manipulations? Could that he was perfect in all of his generations mean that he wasn't genetically modified in any way? That he was still carrying the basic programming of the Creator? There's some reason why only those six individuals were the ones that repopulated the earth. I, but getting back to present day, it, I believe that this substance that people are so readily taking into their body is the abomination that makes desolate. I hope that you'll go and do some research online about the ins and outs of it. The prophets have warned us and forewarned us about conspiring men in the latter days. The book of Isaiah in chapter 28, it speaks extensively about prophets in the latter days who would have their eyes closed, who would be drunken with wine and strong drink. Wine and strong drink 
is the same thing that happened to the Pharisees, where they had the law, they had the gospel, but they added all of these traditions, and they added this oral law on top of it to make it supposedly impossible if you would obey all of their laws um, to not follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But those aren't the laws that God gave them. He told them that he wanted them to circumcise their, the foreskin of their hearts. He was very upset when they refused to sanctify themselves and come to him and insisted that he speak to them through Moses. Because a Zion people are people with one heart and one mind. The reason why they have one heart and one mind is they're one with Christ, as Christ is one with the Father. Christ doesn't need someone to tell him what the Father is saying. He hears it directly himself. We don't need someone to tell us to reveal to us God's will. When he left, he said, I have to go to my Father so that I can leave with you another messenger. And that another messenger, that other messenger is the, the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is going to <coughs> fill us up with understanding. We do not need to lack for understanding. We do not need someone to tell us what to do. Nephi didn't need anyone to tell him how to get the plates except for the Holy Spirit. He said, I was led not knowing beforehand to what I would do. So in chapter 28 of Isaiah, it talks about these prophets that are going to be drunken and they're going to make a covenant with death that if the desolating scourge should come into their land, they would not be affected by it. So they've done something that's going to, they think, protect themselves from being affected by some desolating scourge that's threatening their, their people, their civilization. But what does God say about this? He calls it a covenant with death and hell. He goes on at some point during that chapter and, and he stops and he talks about the righteous. He said, I set in Zion a stone a precious stone, a cornerstone. He that believes it will not do rashly. So those who believe in Jesus Christ, Doctrine and Covenants 10, this is my church. Those, it's towards the end, like around verse 50 something, if I remember right. But you can find it. He starts talking first about uh, he's going to unfold a great mystery. And guess what the great mystery is? That he will call his she chicken gathers her chicks under her wings. Well, we have chickens. I've had chickens for years and years. And the way that a mama hen works is she holds her wings up and she clucks and clucks. And her wise chicks will run under her wings for protection. And then you have the silly chicks that just keep walking around doing their thing, completely ignoring mama. They don't have hands and she doesn't run around grabbing them. She stands still. She chooses a place to stand and she stands there and she calls her chicks to her. Those who believe it 
in the cornerstone, in the precious stone, it says, will not do rashly. You know why they won't do rashly? Because they're full of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is guiding them and warning them not to take that trash into their body. And they will even stand against what those who are blindly following the prophet are doing. They will stand out. And it is the literal separation of the wheat and the dares in front of us. How many will follow a man? If you go to, it's either Jeremiah chapter 7 or 17. There is a verse in there that says, Cursed is the man who putteth his trust in the arm of flesh. Cursed is the man. Doctrine and Covenant section 1 tells us that we shouldn't um, lean on any man, but that everyone should speak in the name of the Lord. Eh, that's a paraphrase, but it's somewhere around verse 30-ish in Doctrine and Covenant section 1. You'll find it if you go look for it. <clears throat> so, the bottom line is, if you have taken this trash into your body, there is only one way you can be saved. Just like Moses lifted up the, the serpent on the stick, right? And told the Israelites to look and they wouldn't do it because of the easiness of the way some did it. But many perished because they just couldn't, they couldn't believe. Don't be that person who cannot exercise faith in Christ. Get on your knees and beg God in the name of Jesus Christ to release you from this toxic stuff that you've taken in. He can still deliver you. But that hour is late. And you cannot um, put off your repentance. Repent. He said, oh, I was going to finish that in Doctrine and Covenant section 10. So he talks about the mystery, and then he goes on to say, Those who repent and come unto me are my church. And then, paraphrasing, he said something like, And anyone who um, sets up anything else as my doctrine, the same shall be damned. That's it. He tells us also in the Doctrine, um, is it in the Doctrine and Covenants or is it in the Book of Mormon? I'd have to look it up. But he tells us there are save it be two churches only. I believe it's in the Book of Mormon in Second Nephi. The church of God and this church of the devil. That's all there is. And that includes the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That great and spacious building is probably probably the majority of the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are in that great and spacious building. And how do I know that? Because one of their primary characteristics are to point the finger of scorn, to laugh and make fun of the humble followers of God. Those who rely on the precious stone, the cornerstone, and therefore will not act rashly, Isaiah 28. And most of the church is laughing and scoffing at those who refuse to take this covenant with death into their bodies. So most of the church is in the great and spacious building. So what does it say after it talks about those that rely on the precious stone, the cornerstone won't do rashly. Then it goes back to address these wicked prophets and those that follow them. 
He says that their covenant with death is not going to save them. That as the scourge comes, wave upon wave, it will hit them. Morning after morning, they will fall to it. It says that they... Um, that it'll become a terror just just to speak of it because so many people are going to fall. Let me remind you that in the Doctrine and Covenants, talking about this great scourge that would come upon the world in the latter days, it says, Upon my house shall it begin, and from my house shall it go forth. Upon my house shall it begin, and from my house shall it go forth. Those are ominous words. We're told in Doctrine and Covenant section 84 that the entire church is under condemnation. And why? Because of the darkness of their minds. Because they take lightly the, the scriptures, the things that they've received, the commandments. So we have the history in the Doctrine and Covenants in section 42 of them receiving Excuse me, the law of Zion, which includes the law of consecration. They would not live it. They would not be a Zion people. They refused. They had received the Book of Mormon. They would not search it. Instead, they became full of the doctrine of the Cochranites. The doctrine, the Cochranites was a group that was, um, had become established, um, in the East. Where was it? What, what, what state was it? Was it, was it Maine? No. Darn, it's not Maine. Mm, somewhere up out East. You can look them up, the Cochranites. I think it's spelled C-O-C-H-R-A-N-I-T-E-S. They were started by this um, zealous preacher who began to preach the doctrine that um, of spiritual wivery, where men could share their wives freely, um, that they could have multiple wives. Um, and what happened was we had some missionaries that went up into that area and taught them the gospel and converted some of them. But when they became converted, um, at least one individual in particular did not leave the doctrine of spiritual wivery behind. He instead, it became morphed into present-day polygamy, and became um, part of our doctrine in 1867. Now remember, Joseph Smith died in 1844, I believe it was. Was it 1844 or 1845? Anyway, right in there. And uh, posthumously, <clears throat> Brigham Young produces this document that supposedly... Um, was a revelation that came from Joseph Smith. And before that, in our Doctrine and Covenants, what was Section 101 at the time, I believe in the 1842-1844 printings of the Doctrine and Covenants, it was also in the 1835 printing of the Doctrine and Covenants, but in that one it wasn't Section 101. I don't remember what section it was. But it's the statement on marriage. And it is a very clear, very bold statement that in the kingdom of God, the only marriage that's acceptable is monogamy. And if you go to Jacob chapters 2 and 3, Jacob in the Book of Mormon gives a lecture. And he says that the practice of having many wives and concubines by David and Solomon was an abomination. Because God delights in the chastity of women. It was an abomination. Just because God doesn't strike someone down for doing something doesn't mean that he endorses it. 
he says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses shall all my words be established. That's in the Bible, but I don't remember the exact chapter and verse. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses shall all my words be established. Section 132, the abomination that tells us that we need to enter into this new and everlasting covenant of marriage. Um, that's the only witness that you're going to find, that that is God's word. That's the only witness you're going to find. Now, section 131, you have to understand, they had already entered into the new and everlasting covenant long before the garbage that happened in Nauvoo that redefined the new and everlasting covenant. Go and do a search in the doctrine covenants on the everlasting covenant. You'll be shocked what you'll find. As a matter of fact, there's one passage where it talks about the school of the prophets and that um, the person who was the head priest at the school of the teacher, I guess is a better term, at the school of the prophet would kneel down and with arms raised up to heaven had this special greeting that he would give to the people who were coming into the school of prophets to learn. And it's really interesting because it says in there that this greeting was in token of the everlasting covenant. You see, because they had already entered the everlasting covenant. The everlasting covenant is defined in um, Joseph Smith translation, Genesis chapter 9. And it is basically this, that a covenant was made with Enoch when he took the city of Enoch up to his bosom. That when the sons of men would keep all his commandments, remember section 42, that we were going to enter into the commandments of Zion, but we refused them. Um, when, when the children of men would keep all my commandments and look upward, then Zion would look downward and the city of Enoch would return to the earth from whence it came and that Christ would come personally and tabernacle and that the general assembly of the church of the firstborn would come down among the children of men. <coughs> so they had entered into this covenant, but most of the members broke the covenant. There were a few faithful who remained. So instead of continuing with the pleasing word of God, humbling themselves and building Zion in their heart so that Zion could be established on the earth. They went seeking after mysteries and those mysteries that they felt like they came up with, <coughs> at least through Brigham Young, was polygamy and Adam, the Adam God doctrine. If you don't know what the Adam God doctrine is, a quick Google search will will teach it to you. And Joseph Smith and Hiram, who were, and others by that matter, um, but Joseph Smith and Hiram were martyred because they were not. I I don't care what we've been told. I do not believe from the things that I have now studied that Joseph Smith was practicing polygamy. Matter of fact, he was speaking out against it. And it had become common practice to push people into um, wickedness by using Joseph's name and saying that they had been taught in secret these higher doctrines. There is... Um, there, there are um, documents in the Joseph Smith papers where Hiram brings two of those individuals um, up for charges. And in both cases, they were going around telling women that if they wouldn't say anything, that 
Joseph had taught that as long as you don't say it out loud, it is perfectly okay to have sexual relations, for a man to have sexual relations with as many women as they wish if those women would stay silent. It's, it was really disgusting, and it was disgusting to see how many women were duped because they had so much faith in Joseph Smith. But then that goes back to what I said before. So, out of the mouth of two or three, three witnesses shall all my word be established. Sidney Rigdon was given the responsibility to prove all of the revelations that Joseph Smith received, to prove them in the Bible. Because a prophet today doesn't trump the prophets of old. God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And anything that anyone comes and tells you is from a prophet, it better line up with the already established word of God. It has to line up. And the early days of the church, um, teaching um, that we should live the law of consecration, that's in Acts chapter 2, I think, or 3, 2 or 3, I think it's 2. Um where it tells you twice that um, once the New Testament church was established, that they had all things in common, that they sold all their excess to take care of the needs of the poor. So there's another witness, right? We also have um, <coughs> the pearl of great price. Isn't it, is it the book of Moses? I think it is. I don't think it's Abraham. I think it's Moses, pretty sure. Where it says, And I called my people Zion, for they were of one heart and one mind, and dwelt in righteousness, and there was no poor among them. One heart, because we would be one in Christ as he is one with the Father. Through the Holy Spirit, there is a complete aligning of our hearts. It's just an amazing thing. So, Brigham Young was the first <coughs> supposed prophet, seer, and revelator after Joseph Smith. But even later, general authorities in the church denounced that Adam God doctrine that he was preaching as being false doctrine. So if if a prophet was teaching false doctrine, then yes, prophets can lead you astray. You cannot rely on the arm of flesh. You go to the Lord in prayer. You ask him to reveal whether or not this is a true principle. And then you get in your scriptures like a Berean um the Bereans were a group of people that, um, I don't remember if it was Paul or if it was one of his associates, went and preached the good word to. And they searched diligently in the scriptures um, for the things that they were taught. And they found them. And therefore, many of them came to believe in the words of, I can't remember if it was Paul or one of his associates, but anyway. They came to believe in their words and became converted. And why? Because number one, they didn't cast out what they heard immediately because of unbelief. They prayerfully searched the word of God to find out if it was true. And they found that yes, the things that they were testifying of very definitely was in the word of God. And they became strong and mighty because of it mighty in following God because their testimony was so strong. So, bottom line is, can prophets lead you astray? Absolutely. Look at um, Isaiah chapter 28. I would challenge you to read the entire chapter and see if what I'm saying isn't true. 
We have to take the Holy Spirit as our guide. We're in the 11th hour. And even among the very elect, even among the virgins, why are they called virgins? Because they're not worshiping other gods. They already have hearts that are turned to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're virgins. They don't have any other lovers. But even among the virgins, among the elect, half of them are going to be deceived. Straight is the way and narrow is the gate that leadeth to eternal life. And few there be that find it. Because many are called, but few are chosen. Set your heart on the things of God. Do not aspire to the honors of men. Don't care what people think of you because you're not following the prophet. Follow Christ. Anchor yourself on the cornerstone, on the precious stone that has been set in Zion. A Zion people are people whose hearts are completely one with Christ. He is our lawgiver. He is our king. We cannot obey anyone else. He is, he is our master, and we must eat out of his stall. If you go to, I think it's Ezekiel chapter 35, there's a pronouncement of woe upon the prophets. And it's really interesting. It might be 36, but I think it's or 34. But it's right in there between 34 and 36. Anyway, there's a pronouncement of woe upon the shepherds because they've been fouling the pastors with their feet. So they've stomped all over the word of God and they've made it mucky because they've filled it with their own ideas. Don't eat that filthy grass. Go to the source. Rely on the cornerstone, on the precious stone of Zion. God bless you all. Bye.